here in chapter 4, we begin to see the offspring of Adam and Eve. And we are so quickly reminded of a few things. We're quickly reminded of how messed up we can get leaving God just a couple years prior, right? These people, they were walking with God. They were in perfection. They saw perfection. And within a few years, we get our first murder, our first cover-up. A few years after that, we see polygamy, we see abuse, we see all sorts of wretched and messed up things. And again, it's a reminder to us that we as mankind, we are not innately good or innately great, but we are sinful and in desperate need of a Savior. We desperately need our Savior. It's also great to see Cain and Abel. They had the same parents, right? They had the same home life. They couldn't blame Cain was messed up because he was listening to rap music, right? Or Cain was messed up because he came from a broken family or he had these diseases or he was a poster child for this and that. There's only four people on planet Earth, right? They had the same parents. They had the same friends, each other, right? Mom and dad. They didn't have MTV or YouTube or social media to blame it on. And it's a great reminder to us that each and every one of us, if we don't hold on to the Lord, we will gravitate towards sin. And sin, when it's fully born, leads to death. So we're here, Genesis chapter 4. It tells us now the man, that's Adam, he knew his wife Eve. He had relations, he had sexual intimacy with Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Or better translated, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And this is the first time we see sex mentioned in the Bible. And we must notice that it's not something that's crude or crass. It's not something to be ashamed of. We see that God, He doesn't talk about it in its scientific form or biological form. But instead, He speaks of it as getting to know Adam, getting to know Eve, getting to know her better, or intimacy itself. And again, it's reminding us of its created purpose. It's the purpose for a husband and wife to truly know each other in a deeper and more special and more intimate way. And it goes further into the idea of two becoming one flesh, just like it was mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And it's so important to us, as I've been trying to hammer down, right? God is the boss. God is the boss. He's the creator of heaven and earth and the universe. He's the one that has laid down the rules and the groundwork. That whenever we depart from God's rules and His groundwork, things get out of whack. Things get messed up. And just as sex inside of marriage is beautiful and it's holy, and you can talk about it with any shame or blush, anywhere outside of it, it used to be very shameful to speak of. But now we've gotten to a point where it's everywhere and anywhere except in the marriage, right? It's everywhere and anywhere except between a husband and wife. And that's why, again, family, our world is so messed up. We need to continue to do things biblically, right? Uh, praying with different people and different people that go through different sins, whether it's lying, gossip, right? Sex outside of marriage, pornography, bitterness, homosexuality. And to God, they're all sins. To us, maybe because of our heritage, maybe because of the home we grew up in, we sort of make a, our own order of these sins, right? There's always those top 10 lists 
uh, on the internet. We make a list of, okay, top 10 sins, and oh, this one's worse than this one. And we try to gratify them. Oh, this one's not that bad if this person does this. But to the Lord, they're all the same. And each and every one of them, if they go unchecked, they will lead to death. They will lead to death. So remember, here, the first time we ever see sex, it's not talked about in a crass or crude way. It's how a husband and wife get to know each other more and more. Then we see Eve, when she conceives, she gives birth to Cain. And what she says right away, I don't know how many women say this. It's pretty cool to say. But I have gotten a man-child, right? Start calling my uh, sons with my man-child. Um, but what we see from this is that Eve quite possibly thought that Cain was going to be the one to crush Satan's head. Just like God promised them in Genesis 3.15 that Satan would bruise the heel of the seed of Eve and that her seed would bruise Satan's head. And again, it's quite possible that Eve and even Cain may have grown up with the idea, hey, you are going to crush Satan's head, right? You are big and bad and all that and a bag of chips. And most parents, I mean, hopefully no parents, when they hold their children, they don't think, man, my son is going to grow up to be a murderer, right? This little baby in my hand is going to be a murderer, much less the murder to my other baby. But we all think and hope for the best in our sons and daughters. But again, a great reminder to us. Apart from Jesus, they're little monsters, right? Apart from Jesus, we, that man in the mirror, is a monster. And we need to continue to bring them towards the Lord and the things of the Lord. Verse 2, it says, Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Some scholars believe they were twins. We don't see that truly in Scripture. Uh, and some scholars also believe that in the beginning, every birth was at least two babies. It would make sense if God would do that to radically grow the population. But again, we don't necessarily see that in Scriptures. However, we do see that Cain, he sort of took up the family business or the natural business of his father, Adam. He's a farmer. He's tilling the ground. We know that Adam, he was tending for the garden. His curse was that now he would have to deal with weeds growing more than seeds itself. And he'd have to deal with thorns and thistles. But Abel is here found doing something new. He's being a shepherd. Just as one day Moses and Abraham and David would also be called shepherds, right? And even Jesus Christ, he would be the good shepherd. So we see these two men, two different occupations, two different lifestyles. And now in verse 3, it tells us, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard or respect for Abel and for Abel's offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard or respect. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. It's interesting, the translation about the course of time or at a certain time period, what it's truly translated to is at the end of days, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. So perhaps this was the Sabbath day. We can tell from later on in verse 6, he tells him, if you will do well, right? If you do well. So what we can gather here is that Cain and Abel, 
they knew of the right way to do this sacrifice, right? If you wouldn't say he'd do it the right way if they didn't know how to do it the right way. So they knew of the right way to offer this sacrifice. What was God's problem, right? Why would he accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? How could God be so cruel? How could God cause enmity and jealousy and damage between brothers? We see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, after Adam and Eve sinned, the only way to cover their nakedness and their shame was for God to kill an animal and with the skin of the animal clothe Adam and Eve, which was a sacrifice or an atonement for their sin. It was the only way their sin could be covered. And then in Genesis chapter 3 verse 24, we are told that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they station a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And we know from Moses getting the designs from God for the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, they placed two cherubim where the presence of God would be and also where the mercy seat would be. We also know from the book of Revelation that there's cherubim in the throne room of God. And anywhere we see cherubim, they are in a sense, there in the presence of God. That God, He made a way to come and meet with Him even after Adam and Eve totally blew it. And I have no doubt that God gave both Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel the rules of engagement. If not, why would they start sacrificing in the first place? Right? They had never really seen death before until God sacrificed this animal. So why would they now know, hey, we got to keep doing this. We got to keep doing the sacrificing thing. They weren't even around when it happened. So I have no doubt that the Lord spoke to them and showed them the right way to do it. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, you could just write it down. It tells us, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And just like in the time in the Old Testament, they would have to sacrifice an animal to atone for their sins or cover their sins or wash their sins. And we know for us, the joy we have is that Jesus has died once and for all for our sins. And instead of them just being covered or atoned for, they are washed away completely. And now we are regenerated. And Jesus, every time we truly repent and seek Him, God sees us as perfect. He doesn't see us as a jacked up house with a bunch of paint over and over and over and over. He sees us as brand new all over again and the amazing power of the blood of Christ. You see, just as God has given us one way for repentance and one way for forgiveness of sins, just as He's given us only one way to heaven, just as He's given us only one way to have a true relationship with the God of all creation. Just as He's given us one way to please and appease the God of the universe, God gave Cain and Abel one way to offer a sacrifice to Him. And lots of people, they get hung up on this. Why would God be so cruel to offer only one way for salvation or one way into heaven? And the true question is, why would He give us any way, right? Why would He give us any way? What do we deserve? What have we done to deserve or merit God giving us a way for salvation? We need to be reminded it's simply His grace and His love and His kindness that He's even given us one way to do it. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So here it gives us a deeper look into the reason 
why God had respect for one sacrifice and not for the other. Hebrews chapter 11, we can read verses 1 through 4. It tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. And by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. And God testifying about his gifts. And through faith though he is dead he still speaks. You see family Abel's sacrifice was in faith. It was in complete faith. Abel had done nothing besides making sure that the sheep were not getting eaten by wolves to make sure that the sheep was okay to one day sacrifice the sheep. But Cain believed through his own hands, through his own work, through his own sweat, through his own service that he can gain the approval of God. And it's the same thing for us. The difference between our relationship with Jesus Christ and the difference between religion and any religion, whether it's a false Christianity or whether it's a completely false and crazy religion, it's based on man doing its best attempt to work its way to heaven, right? Like the Tower of Babel working their way towards heaven. Whereas true Christianity, this true relationship we have with God, God is the one that has done all the work to really give us a chance to meet him and to not have to live in hell for all of eternity. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 27, it tells us the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. And when we come to God with a wicked sacrifice, it's an abomination to him. Again, the one way we sacrifice to God, the one way we bless God, the one way we bring service to God is through faith. It's through faith. It's not through thinking that I deserve to be here, that I have paid my way to get to this table. It's all been done through the work and power of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. It's not my pride or the things that I have done. And we can forget about this at times, right? Do we believe that we've done enough to earn our salvation? That we have a, a Christian punch card with a dove or maybe our palm tree leaf on it? And you show it to the parking lot minister and after 10 punches, right, you get your salvation and now you're good. After 10 camps or 10 couples retreats, after singing 10 songs, now you've gained your salvation. Or do we believe that we've done enough to pay the debt that we owe to God or to Christ Jesus for our salvation? Or do we even believe that I'm holier or better than the person next to me? Because I've attended church more frequently and more often than they have. This is all the way of Cain. It's salvation through our pride. It's religion through our pride instead of just faith in Christ. Lord, it's all that you've done. I've done nothing to be here. I've done nothing to deserve to get to this place. Will you just let me hang around and sort of help you out even though I'm going to mess things up, right? My son, when he wants to help me, as hopefully you know by now, no toddler really helps all that much, right? When they're trying to help you, hey, let me help you clean this. Let me help you wash this car. 
I'll never forget, my dad was having uh, his grandsons help him wash the car, and all of a sudden, one of them grabbed the rock and was about to go to the car to start scrubbing. Stop, 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 right? They just, they're just around because they love being with their dad. Right? They love being with their grandpa. They don't think, come on, pops, come on, no, no, don't you know how, much, how many classes I've gone to in car washing that I deserve to be here? Don't you see how great I am at holding the hose and <clears throat> soaking you even though I'm supposed to be washing the car? Don't you see this or realize this? And it's the same thing with our Lord and Master, that He allows us to be a part of it not because we're so great, but because He wants us to be closer to Him. He wants us to spend time with Him. He wants us to be reminded of Him. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Great reminders of our salvation and where does it come from? What have we done to gain it or attain it? What has Jesus done? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that anyone may boast so for us again our salvation in God it's through faith and some churches they get this wrong they think it's my own faith right my faith in myself or my faith and how big my faith is and I gotta believe more and trust more and I gotta name it and claim it but our faith is in God and in what He has done. Our faith and our trust, our hope is in the gift that He has given, not in the work of my own faith. Again, us sitting in the chair, it's me trusting in the gift of that chair and the metal behind it and whoever put it there that it's going to uphold me. Not in me coming, right? Nobody came here with a couple extra screws, a couple L brackets and a drill and right? And they reinforce that chair before they sit in it. But often with our salvation, we believe we need to reinforce it or we need to create it, make it even stronger and even better. And that's not the case. In Titus, we can turn there. Titus, we look at chapter 3. Again, this theme of where does our salvation come from? What have we done to gain it or attain it? What is the power behind salvation? The book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. And we'll begin reading in verse 5. It tells us, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He, again, He's the one that has done all the work, He's poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy statement. You can bank on this. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And these are good and profitable for men. That some believers, they can swing to bad extremes where, man, everything is done through the grace of God. So I can do whatever I want because at the end of the day, it's God's grace and mercy and I can do whatever I feel like because God's got grace on it. God's God has mercy on it. But throughout the Bible, we see that it's all through His grace that we get salvation. But now His salvation, it has power. We're going to see that later on. It has power to change our lives. Not for us to look like the world. It has power to change us and renew us. That word in the Greek, right? Uh, 
which leads to the word metamorphosis, the difference between a caterpillar crawling around on its belly and one day being able to fly around like a butterfly. That should be the difference between us as believers. If you say you're here and you're going to heaven, you say you're here and you know Jesus, you say you're here and you're a Christian, our lives should be drastically different from unbelievers. Again, the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? Three-year-olds can tell the difference between that. Two-year-olds, they can tell the difference between that. Do people see that difference in each and every one of us? The other thing to mention, we can go back to Genesis chapter 4, is not only did Abel give his sacrifice the correct way, not only did he give it in faith, but on top of that, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, right? Some of us wish we could sacrifice our fat portions to God if it were only that easy. Um, but Abel, what he's really doing is he's giving God his very, very, very best. It's not his leftovers. And there's a common theme throughout Scripture that we must give God not our leftovers, but we must give God our first and our very, very best. You can write down Exodus chapter 13, verse 12. It tells us, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Talking about even the sons in Israel, that they were supposed to be the Levites in the beginning before God does a bunch of things with that. They were all supposed to give the first goat, the first bull, the first ox. All of that was supposed to be for the Lord. In Numbers 18, verse 17, it tells the people of Israel, but the firstborn of the ox, the sheep, the goat, you shall not redeem, for they are holy. But instead you shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and you shall offer up their fat and smoke as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. And there's a soothing aroma when you cook meat and fat on fire, right? I don't know if you guys like barbecuing or grilling, but there's something very special, something sweet about it when you smell that. Now when you get the taste of it afterwards, it's even better, right? And then in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, Verse 9 through 10, it tells us, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's a common theme throughout Scripture for us to give the Lord our very best. The very, very best. Again, I don't know about you guys, but there's something special about having a ribeye or a New York strip, right? When it has the right amount of fat to meat ratio, man, it's something beautiful, right? Something beautiful. And how many of us have hosted a Thanksgiving meal? Anybody here hosted a Thanksgiving meal? Anybody ever been to a Thanksgiving meal? Man, not that many of you guys. You guys gotta have a Thanksgiving meal. Right? Or maybe you've hosted a 15s or even a wedding, right? What kind of food do they serve you, right? Usually it's freshly cooked, hopefully. It's freshly cooked or it's grandma's special recipe or it's the chef's special of the day. Perhaps it's paella, or your choice of fish, chicken, or beef, right? These are the things that are served at these great meals. But now, could you imagine? Man, they come out, there used to be banquet halls, they'd come out and do this big show with like sparklers and all these things, and they have the trays and the covers, and they put it all at your table, and you're so excited because the wedding took four hours, and you're so hungry, and you're ready, and bam, they open that top, and there's just a Rubbermaid Tupperware sitting there, right? And everybody's looking and saying, okay, that was my leftovers from last week, right? And that was, that was dad's leftovers, 
That was mom's leftover, arroz con pollo. That was my son's leftover, PB&J. Don't mind the couple bites in there. It's okay, right? We would be appalled. We would be appalled. What kind of a wedding is this? What kind of a Thanksgiving meal is this? Yet how often do I do that to the Lord? How often do I do that to the Lord that I am willing to give my absolute best to everyone and anyone except the champion of my soul? Except the one who has saved me from hell itself. I'm willing to give my very best to the world, to my husband or wife, to my girlfriend or boyfriend, to the drinking party or the club or staying up late at night. But to give God my very best just seems like too much work. Family, do we tithe? Where do we tithe from? Do we tithe at the end of the month? All right, how much is left over? All right, Lord, I guess we get a buck fifty this month, God. Hopefully next month is better, right? What do we give to the Lord? It's sad, but lots of times we give God our leftovers. Should I give this to Salvation Army? Nah, the Lord could use it. The church could use it. Should I give this to Goodwill? Goodwill didn't take it. Let me see if Calvary Miami will take it. And that's what we do a lot of times. How often do we think, man, the church needs this. I may get the best I can get to bless. Again, who? The Lord. Not like king because it's going to give you more clout or more power in the church or with the Lord. But because you want to show him how much you love him. And how much you want to thank him. Again, hopefully husbands, wives, when you bought that engagement ring and you showed it to her. It wasn't like dirty or missing a couple rocks and like all scratched up. Honey, I found this somewhere, right? And I want to marry you with this, right? Let's wait a little bit. Let's wait a little bit. You give her your absolute best. You scrounge out all the money you can get and you get her the best ring that will bless her. So hopefully that's how we treat our Lord. And that was convicting for me this week. Because even in my devotional time, even in my serving time, am I saying, Lord, here's my best. Here's my absolute best. I'm going to go to bed early tonight because tomorrow morning I want to give him my first and my absolute best. So we keep reading Genesis chapter 4 verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Again, how loving is our God? He doesn't strike Cain dead right away. He doesn't chop off his legs or do something crazy to him. No, instead, we see the creator of the universe coming to him and speaking to him, showing that there is a way to change, that there's a way to change. And he's also reminding him, right, if you do well, if you want to be happy, just do things the right way. Why are you so sad? Why the long face? If you would just do things the way that I have told you to do them in my word, you would be joyful. You would be happy. You wouldn't be so heartbroken and so bitter and so enraged with envy. Just do things the right way and you'll be okay. But if you don't want to, know that sin is crouching at your door. That happens so often to us. We tell our kids, or the Lord tells us, our boss tells us, hey, this is the one right and true way to do something. And if you do it this way, you will be blessed, you will grow, you will be honored. But we kick and we complain. Why does it have to be this way? Any other way but that, right? Any other way except that one way. And yet what we do when we do this is we are both rejecting 
the perfect creator of heaven and earth, our perfect savior, and we're also rejecting the perfect way that he has designed to do things in life. Whether it's marriage, whether it's parenthood, again, whether it's sex, whether it's our language, whether it's how we treat one another, every relationship, it's found in scripture. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with conflict? How do you, how are you a good leader? How are you a good mom? How are you a good dad? How are you a good worker? How do, how do you have a good bank account? How do you have a good uh, savings account? Man, it's all found in scripture. Yet like Saul, we kick against the goats. We want to do it another way, but it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. We we're willing to kick against thorns and anything that hurts except doing it the right way. Here it tells us that sin is crouching at the door of Cain and its desire is for Cain. And family, it's the same thing for each and every one of us. If we do not do things according to the way God has told us to do them in Scripture, sin is crouching at our door and its desire is for, you can write your name in there, it's for Zach or Harvey or whoever you are, you can write your name in there. James chapter 1 verse 15, always a great reminder. Lust, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is accomplished or when it has gone its full course, it brings forth death. We must be on alert. We have to be on alert. Just like if somebody, right, what if I call you up, it's like 10 at night. Zach, what are you doing calling me at 10 at night? Man, there's someone crouching outside your door waiting for you to open the door. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Man, call the police, do something, right? Hopefully you wouldn't be like, man, let me check. Let me see what's going on outside. Or if you do, right, you have your weapon, you're ready. You have your whole family there. Everybody's ready with their samurai swords and knives and guns and everything. Or you call the police, you do something about it. But here God, he's blowing the whistle to Cain. But Cain in his pride, in his arrogance, and what he believes he deserves, he doesn't care and he's going to do what he wants to do. But we... Hopefully, as wise men and women, we want to do things differently. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And imagine, Peter, if anybody had been warned not to do something and then did it anyways, man, it was Peter. Same thing for him, right? Saying he wants to thresh you, he wants to throw you around, he wants to beat you up like just a bunch of wheat and barley. But I'm praying for you that you don't have to go through that, that you don't have to go through this pain that you can make it, that you don't have to have this pain and agony and misery because of sin. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. We, no one really here girds up their loins. So remember, it's to prepare your minds for action. Get ready for action. It says, be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to your former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, our salvation is completely through grace, but grace brings action. And as we get that salvation through complete grace, there needs to be action in the life of the believer. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter, again, he's been there, he's done that. He tells us, the end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8-9. through 9. Again, it tells us the same thing. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But again, God, he gives us the way out. He tells us, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You're not the only one that Satan is after. You're not the only one that sin is after. Sin is after, right? You could look around everyone in the room. Everyone in a blue chair, whether it's the big one, the medium-sized one, or the hard plastic one, Satan is after them. Sin is after them, or unfortunately for some of us, our flesh is doing it all by itself. And Satan's like, yeah, go for it. You're doing a great job. Don't mind me. You keep doing what you're doing. But for us, there's a way out. And it tells us, be ready, be sober, be vigilant. Don't be drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on pride. Don't get filled with the garbage of this world. But be ready. Be ready. Don't be so filled with food that you can't move, right? Don't be so tired that, man, you get beat up and caught because you're not paying attention. Be ready. Why? Two reasons. One, Satan, he wants to kill you. And two, Jesus is coming back at any second. That should be enough for us to be ready, right? If I tell you, hey, there's a mercenary coming after you. Again, right? Everybody's like, what? There's someone actively hunting you down to murder you and your family. What? But that's what sin is doing. That's what Satan is doing. He's looking for the inroad to destroy you and your marriage and your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives and your great-grandkids' lives. But we don't look at that because we're focusing on, man, what feels good today? What feels good right now? You can write down Matthew chapter 24, verse 48 through 51. Jesus is giving another one of his amazing stories to us to warn us of things to come, to warn us where we are at. He tells of a bunch of different servants, a bunch of different slaves that they're put in charge to take care of his master's vineyard. But it says, if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. And then he decides to beat up his fellow servants. He decides to kill them and get drunk and do all sorts of crazy things. It tells us the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. And an hour which he does not know. Family, are we heavenly minded? Are we heavenly minded? Are we constantly thinking about what heaven is going to be like? That this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And it's nice being on vacation, but hopefully you still have somewhat of a track of what's going on at home, right? It's like, hey, we're going on vacation. The doors are unlocked. Eh, who cares, right? The windows are wide open. Eh, who cares? Are you left the gas stove on? Eh, who cares, right? Did you pay the bills? We're on vacation. Who cares? Let the whole thing burn down, right? Hopefully that's no one here. But so often that's how we treat heaven, which is our real home. And we're so focused here on vacation, right? We're here pilgrims passing through that we forget about our true home and preparing our true home, preparing for our occupation in our true home. And we're too focused in this life. And I am so guilty of this. So focused on the next thing that's going to feel good or the next thing that's going to help me forget about how hard work is or how uh, strenuous this life is. 
instead of having the Lord be the one to fulfill me or Jesus being one to fulfill me. Again, family, Jesus is coming back at any moment. There's nothing left in Scripture to hold Him back from coming today. Be ready. Be aware. He can come today. Perhaps today. And if He doesn't come today, again, remember, there is someone actively trying to hunt you down and kill you and your family and the beautiful things that God wants to do with you. Remember that. We go back to Genesis chapter 4. Now we look at verse 8. Cain here, he tells his brother, Hey bro, let's go out for a walk. It says, Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him. Again, this was premeditated murder. Cain, he lures Abel into a field, probably his field. And he starts talking with him. I don't know if they had done this before or not. And once they came out to the field, he rose up and killed his own brother. First John chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, it tells us, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. And family, there's so much danger in jealousy and bitterness. And there's even more danger when there's jealousy and bitterness towards another believer. Whether it's their power or their position. Much worse is their own righteousness or their relationship with God. Sometimes we can just say that right, they're a fun vampire. They suck the fun out of everything because of how holy they are. And I just want to go watch this movie and not care. I just want to grab a couple of drinks and not care. Why are you sucking the fun out of everything? And we can grow bitter at them. We can grow jealous at them. Maybe their life situation or how good life has been to them. But I warn you, don't kill them. Don't hurt them. And Jesus warns us, if even in our heart, we wish that they were dead or we wish a lot of bad things would happen to them. We've committed that murder in our heart. We're guilty of it. Instead, what that should do is lead to a godly jealousy. As God warned Cain, hey, if you do well, and that's the same thing for us today, if you do well, God's word is filled with the things we should be doing. And if we begin to do these things, your countenance will change and your face will be lifted up on high, focusing on the Lord, filled with joy, no matter what situation or trial you find yourself in. Instead of seeking vengeance or king someone's car, May we seek repentance and may we seek to grow into what God has for us. Because that's His very best. Even if we don't want it, even if it seems degrading or below us, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. We continue reading verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. And you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Again, we see God coming to meet the prodigal son. We see God coming to meet this Cain. We see God going out to meet Adam and Eve. And he asked them a question. Not because God doesn't already know. 
Not because Abel is already in the presence of God and they've already had communion and now he goes to Cain, his brother. But he knows, but he wants to ask him a question which will hopefully lead to conviction, which can hopefully lead to repentance in the heart of Cain. But instead he rejects it and his sin grows all the more. Again, he could offer a sacrifice at this point with the right humility, with the right heart, if he was broken. But we're going to see instead of being more and more broken, Cain grows more and more in his pride, in his arrogance, and in his hatred. Sin always grows and multiplies. Not doing things the way God has prescribed leads to pride and then jealousy and then bitterness then premeditated murder. Now we see he's lying to God just like his dad and mom. And Jude chapter 1 verse 11, there's only one chapter there, but verse 11, it warns us, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And just as the Pharisees grew in anger and bitterness towards Jesus, and in anger and bitterness towards Stephen, and the many other Christians that were put to death throughout history, empty religion based on works or pride is dangerous. Empty religion based on works or pride is dangerous. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we quoted a lot, right? The danger of having a form of godliness, although denying its power. Paul told Timothy, avoid such men as these. Flee from them. Avoid them. Go on the other side of the street when you see them. And that form of godliness, it's holding to a form of religion, yet they have denied its power. Family, does our relationship with God show any power? Right? You're here, you say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, I'm going to heaven when I die. But do you have any power here on earth? When you're changing the channel on your TV and it stops working, right? First you start smacking it around. You turn the batteries around. But after none of that's working, what do you do? You pull out the batteries and you pop in the new ones because you know it's not working and it needs new power. Does our life have power? What sins have I been able to overcome through the power of God and the Holy Spirit? Again, all throughout Scripture, it tells us putting away the former things, we now put on new things, holy things. You go through all the epistles and it tells us all the things that we should be putting on and all the things we should be taking off. Are we putting on the things that we should be taking off and taking off the things that we are putting on? Where's the power? What are the depths of the love and grace and mercy that you have been able to demonstrate to others because of the power source that we are tapped into? Have you been able to show great love to someone else? Great mercy to someone else? Great grace to someone else? Even though they may have hurt you or your family or... Maybe they sat in your seat at church or they took your parking spot. I've been able to show great grace and love and mercy because of the power source that you are tapped into. All of mankind loves power. We all love power, especially guys, right? When a car drives in and you're right, all the guys, they start looking at it. Diesel engines, they're pretty cool, right? You hear cars with tons of horsepower and everybody wants to go check it out. A guy gets a new leaf blower and is blowing the leaves across the sidewalk. They want to go check it out. Ladies, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's how quick your hair iron works, right? Or different things like that that may be amazing towards you. I like the shower when it has a ton of pressure, right? We like that power. And when there's power, what do we do? We gravitate towards it. We ask questions about it. We begin to talk about it. 
What conversations have broken out because of the power in my life? What questions have resulted because of the power that other people see in my life? And how do you do that? How are you able to listen to our boss who's so crazy and such a hypocrite? How are you still able to be nice to them? And how are you able to stay pure and you're not in a bunch of sex or pornography? How are you able to not talk bad about people? How are you able to stay away from the gossip? How do you do that? How do you balance so many things? How do you do that? Do people ask about your power? Or do you look just like everyone else? That should be warning signs in us. Do I have an empty religion that is powerless? Or do I have a relationship with God that is filled with power? You see the book of Acts, there's so much power there because of those men, how they knew the Lord and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And family, we need power. Not in my own religion or in my own works. I need power because I'm connected to God and I'm continually connecting to that power source. I know Tesla, they just made a new car that has, goes like th uh, 300 miles before recharge or 400 miles before recharge. You got to keep recharging that thing if you want to look cool, right? Uh, Tesla getting told that you're sitting in doesn't look that cool anymore, right? We need to be connected to our power source. We need to be connected with the Lord. And just like you see Adam and Eve, then their very first sons, they, one murders the next one. We need to be continually connected to our power source. Go back to Genesis chapter 4, and now in verse 13, we see what the truth of God does in the heart of Cain. Cain says to the Lord, right, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, or I'm broken, man, I made a mistake, I was filled with anger, will you forgive me? Instead, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me so the Lord said to him therefore whoever kills Cain vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him I right, of all the things for Cain to say my punishment is too great to bear he murdered his own brother his little brother he murdered him he killed him and yet he's not quick to repent. My family, are we quick to repent or are we quick to blame others or make excuses? It's going to show where our heart is at. James Boyce, he says, one of the clearest marks of sin is our almost innate desire to excuse ourselves and complain if we are judged in any way. Right? The verse every single person on this planet knows, right? Man, don't judge lest you be judged, right? Judge not, judge not. That's not the whole verse, right? Are we quick to repent or are we quick to feel bad for ourselves? Saying we've been dealt wrongly or and what I did really wasn't that bad. It doesn't deserve the consequences I'm getting. I've been dealt a bad deck. Donald Barnhouse, he tells us one of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity himself instead of causing him to turn to God. And one of the first signs of a new life or of a believer is that the individual takes sides with God against himself. The individual is willing to take sides with God against himself. God, you're right. I've been blowing it. I've been wrong. I have been following scripture. I've been taught better. I know better. Lord, will you forgive me? Instead of 
you don't know what I grew up in. You don't know the family I had. You don't know what this one person did to me. Instead of seeking pity, may we seek repentance. May we seek Jesus. May we seek our relationship with him because, again, he has the power. He has the power to overcome. No matter what rough situation you've gone through and this world is so horrible and distraught and messed up, I'm not taking away from that. But we have believers that have gone through each and every situation in life and yet they're tokens of God's grace and they're tokens of the power of God. Verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, which means flight or exile. He settled in the land of exile, east of Eden, and Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and he named that city Enoch after the name of his son. Sin always breaks us away from the presence of the Lord. Sin, when it's not met with repentance, always breaks us away from the presence of the Lord. And it causes us to settle in a place where we are exiled away from God. It causes us to settle there. It causes us to be, man, I'm okay. I'll just be okay not being close to God. I'll just be okay not having the best plan that God has for me. I'll be okay just sitting here and doing nothing. Even though I used to do this, I used to do these great things for God, I'm just going to settle here exiled. Man, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to be there. A lot of people, they'll question the Bible saying, hey, where did Cain's wife come from? You may not like the answer, but in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, it tells us that Adam, he had many sons and daughters. Adam, he lived up to 930 years. Imagine that birthday cake, right? 930 candles on that thing. And I know it sounds gross to us and our culture, but Cain, he married one of his sisters, man. That's what happened. He married one of his sisters. It's not until the time of Moses and Israel being out of Egypt that the Lord gives the command to not marry a sister or even a half-sister. And that's found in Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy 27. David Guzik, he tells us here, necessity demanded that Adam's sons marry his daughters. And at this point, the gene pool of humanity was pure enough to allow close marriage without harm of inbreeding. But as a stream can get more polluted, the further it flows from the source, there came a time when God decreed there would no longer be marriage between close relatives because of the danger of inbreeding. We all give Abraham a lot of flack for saying that Sarah was his sister, but she was his half-sister. That's who he married was his half-sister. Genesis 20 verse 12, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So she became my wife. And again, just different times. Thousands of years ago, not today. Today it's not cool. Don't do that. I don't know if anybody really struggles with that. Um, but if you do, man, come up front for prayer afterwards. Genesis chapter 4, verse 18, it tells us, Now to Enoch was born Urad, and Urad became the father of Mehajal. Forgive me, I don't speak this language very well. And Mehajal became the father of Methuselah. And Methuselah became the father of Lamech. And Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Again, how far have we gone? We're in chapter 4 and already a man is taking two wives. We know Adam, when he saw Eve, he said, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the two will become one. It says it again in 1 Corinthians, says it again in Ephesians. And yet here how quickly has mankind, through Cain, because of a dead religion, instead of a relationship with God and with Jesus, it's led to chaos. 
Verse 20, Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. Man, and how quickly mankind advances, right? We can look at the advancements and say, look how amazing mankind is. Within eight generations, we have farmers, we have shepherds, we have ranchers, we have musicians, and we even have blacksmiths within eight generations of mankind. But when we look at it through God's eyes, within eight generations of mankind, we see sin exploding. We see sin absolutely exploding and multiplying, right? We have polygamy. We have Lamech killing men for hurting him. Even a boy, it tells us, for striking him. And sin, it explodes when it's unchecked. Again, family, the lineages of religion and pride leads to pain and hostility. Verse 25 and 26, it tells us Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. For Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called him Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we'll see later on, it's through the lineage of Seth, which one day leads to Noah, which one day leads to Jesus, which one day leads to us. It's through Seth and Jesus Christ that he will crush the head of Satan, stopping any venom, stopping the power of death, the power of sin, and even the power of Satan himself. And the only way men can call upon the name of the Lord, it's through Jesus. It's through faith and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may we worship Him today because of all that He has done for us. And the same call that God had to Cain, God has to you today. If you're not walking right, if you've been in sin, even if you've been in weights that you shouldn't be in, even if you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing and they're not written in Scripture, man, come and repent. If you do well, will not your countenance change? If you do things according to God and His Word, there's so many promises of how you will have joy, how the Lord will take care of you, the Lord will take care of your family. There's promises that there's going to be tribulation, no matter which army you decide to fight for, the army of sin and Satan or the army of God, there's going to be tribulations. But you can have eternity with Jesus Christ or eternity in hell. The decision is here, it's today, and grace and thanks be to God that He gives us a choice, right? He gives us a choice. 